You know, the, the movie, God is Not Dead, was an awesome, awesome movie. That along with the war room were two powerful spiritual witnesses to the reality of Jesus and the power of prayer and the power of the gospel that we've seen and that were greatly used by God. I didn't realize it, but War Room, which was, I mean, uh, the um, God is not dead, uh, grossed over $60 million. Now, that's a Christian movie in America alone. And the good news is they have a sequel that's coming up. Uh, and those who previewed it says it's better than the first one. It's God is not dead, number two. Well, about 10 years ago, it may have been longer, I preached a message entitled Another Night with the Frogs. And God greatly blessed that message. So today I'm going to preach Another Night with the Frogs, number two. And it's better than the first one. You know, um, it is amazing to me, we take it for granted, but how this world technologically has changed in every way. A little over a hundred years ago, the automobile was kind of a, just like a T model. Or, I think it really started running about 1903. And, and automobiles were things that, you know, just many people, a lot of people have. And what they had wasn't much worth anything. And today, you know, um, we not only have automobiles, but we put a man on the moon. You know, back then, I remember growing up watching uh, those cowboy movies at the Capitol Theater on Main Street in Rock Hill. And you know how we delivered the mail? By Pony Express. And you know, they were always sending a telegraph. Now we've got the internet, cell phones. You can pick it up and call around the world just with nothing but air between you and the rest of the world. It's amazing. Uh, that's just been an unbelievable change. But the change has not only been technologically, but, but morally. There's been a, a drastic change in our moral culture. I wish I could say it was for the good, but it's for the bad. And so while things have changed, I want to say to you that human nature has not changed. Human nature hadn't changed. What was sin 110 years ago is sin today. What was right 100 years ago, according to God, is right today. But you realize that in the midst of all the technological and cultural changes, the heart of man Man, we, have, we, we human beings really have not changed. A hundred years ago, we were sinners by nature and by choice. And today, we're still sinners by nature and by choice. For those who are saved, redeemed by the blood of the land, Lamb and from our sin. And we put off the old man and put on the new man created in the true image of God. But you need to come to grips with the fact that human nature, while with all the technological advances, all the things, the uh, uh, medical advances, I'm telling you, 
human beings are just like they were a hundred years ago. There's no greater example than that. And uh, when God went to lead uh, uh, Israel out of Egypt, you remember he raised up Moses. He trained him for 40 years and said, Moses, go back to Egypt. And he'd seen God's people who had been sent into slavery because of the rebellion and disobedience to God. For 400 years, they'd lived in Egypt and made bricks out of straw in the heat of the sun. They'd cried out to God for them to be delivered from their oppressor. God heard their cry and went into the desert. And Moses had 40 years to get right with God. And God spoke to him and said, now you go down there and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So uh, Moses did exactly that. Pharaoh said, I'm not about to let them go. I got cheap labor here, cheap labor. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not about to let them go. Moses said, I'll tell you what, then God's going to bring judgment on you. And the first thing God did was turn the water, turn the rivers into blood. Now, certainly that would get the attention of Pharaoh. And certainly he would say, man, tell God to, Turn the waters back into water and, and let's get rid of this stuff, rivers. And he hardened his heart. In fact, he didn't even care. In fact, the magicians kind of tried to do the same thing. So that didn't work. Pharaoh said, they're not going. Well, the second thing he did, we see, said to Moses, now you go tell Pharaoh that an, uh, uh, if he won't let our people go, I am going to send a plague of frogs on this land. I'm going to bring them out of the lakes. I'm going to bring them out of the river. And you, this land is going to be covered with frogs. Well, let's read that. In Exodus chapter 8, I want to read 10 verses. But it just shows you how human nature has not changed. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh. This is Exodus 8 verse 1. Say to him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. God wanted them out of Egypt so they could serve him. But if you refuse to let them go, I will smite your territory with frogs. So the rivers shall bring frogs abundantly. They shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your mixing bowls. And the frog shall come upon you and your people and all your servants. And the Lord spoke to Moses, say, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand and rod over the waters, streams and rivers, over the ponds, and cause the frogs to come on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand and the waters of Egypt, over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments, and they also brought up some frogs out of the land. Okay. That was not a good time. Can you imagine getting under the cover and your feet touching frogs? You get up in the morning to put toast in the oven and frogs come out of the oven. That is not good. So <laughs> Moses went to Pharaoh and said, what do you want us to do? In verse, in verse 8, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me. What he's saying in a a kind of a professional way, would you please cry out to God and tell him to get rid of these frogs? 
Entreat the Lord for me, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may serve, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. You get rid of the frogs, they're out of here, and they can go and serve and sacrifice to the Lord. Well, so Moses being the glad to see, glad to see that God is working in Pharaoh's heart, Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when shall I intercede for you and for your people and your servants and your people to destroy the frogs that you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only? Moses said, well, good. Now, let me ask you something. When do you want me to ask God to get rid of the frogs? Well, Human nature hadn't changed. Listen to what he said. He said, tomorrow. What? You mean you want to spend another night with the frogs? You know what he said? Would you get them out right now? When I go to bed at night, I don't want to see any frog in my house anywhere. He said, it'd be okay. I'll sleep another night with the frogs. Just tell him to get them out tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And they shall, the frogs shall depart from you and your houses, from your servants and from your people, and will remain in the river. You say, Brother Fred, Pharaoh was the head of, uh, of Egypt. He was double dumb. All he had to say was, get rid of the frogs today. I'm tired of sleeping with the frogs. You know, I remember when I was um, in my first year at, at University of South Carolina, and, 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 and I happened to be living in the dorm, and we had two people in each room. And um, they were always playing tricks on people. And in biology, we had these, these fish. I don't know what they were named. Any of y'all remember operating on those fish? with formaldehyde. What they did is, to my unknown, they took one of those fish and slid it under the cover in the bottom of my bed. And that night I got in there and my feet hit that dead, cold fish. And I'm telling you, I didn't stay there long. That actually happened to me. Well, here's Pharaoh, and he's been living with the frogs for a while. And he said, well, just let them go one more day. You know what that says to me? Human nature has never changed. God says, you know, there's something I want to do in your life. And there's something I want you to do for me. It's important. And you need to do it. And said, you need to do it now. But your attitude is, well... Lord, I, I know you've spoken to me. And I know uh, there's something that I need to do and some things that you want me to do. But, Lord, I'm going to tell you, i got plenty of time. i got plenty of time. Lord, I'm not saying no, but I'm saying tomorrow. I, I tell you what, Lord, I'll do it tomorrow. And you know what that's called? That's called procrastination. We're, we're, we are, we excel at the art of procrastination. There's something important and may not seem to be important, 
that we need to do in our lives, that we need to make right in our lives, that God has spoken to us, but we're just like Pharaoh. We say, later, I'll do it tomorrow. Lord, I kind of like the frogs. I'll sleep with them another night. You know, it's what we call in in Mexico, they call it manana, which means tomorrow. Tomorrow. So I want to speak to you today about the tragedy, the tragedy in your life of procrastination. The tragedy of you putting off till tomorrow what God has told you to do today. And you see, God is faithful in speaking, and God is faithful in reminding. But sometimes, well, Lord, I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time. I, I'll get with it later. Lord, I, I, I intend to do that. I, I know I shouldn't have that in my life. I intend to get rid of it. I know I need to get that right. But, I, Lord, I, I just, no, no, I'm not ready to do it right now. I'm not ready. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. You know, I want to talk to you about the danger of being a tomorrow man. And it's a real danger. I want to talk to you about the danger of being a tomorrow woman or a tomorrow teenager. I want to talk to you about you putting off and delaying the danger of what it is to be a procrastinator. You know, uh, I'm going to give you a few reasons why you don't need to be a tomorrow man a woman. It's because I'm learning more and more and more about the uncertainty of life. All of us here think that we are, quote, immortal. I'll never die young, but some people do. Oh, I've got plenty of time, but in a day, everything can change. And, and you know, the truth is, I become more and more aware of the uncertainty of life. I, I was thinking that in the last 18 months, I died, I did the funeral of a, a man who was, seemed to be in perfect health and died suddenly at his back door without warning. I talked to his family. Well, he was, just seemed to be as healthy as he could be. He was going to go down and lock the gate. And then I remember talking to a, ministering to a lady whose husband was working in the yard at 57. He died right there in the yard. Didn't have any symptoms. But he was gone in an instant. Then I, talk, I think about the 32-year-old man that laid in a casket right here before me. Dead at the age of 32. I said, you know, everybody doesn't live to be 80. Everybody doesn't live a long life. And then I think about the young man, uh, Monday, that died at 27. You said, well, Brother Fred, that'll never happen to me. Listen, I'm in perfect health. Listen, I'm going to live a long life. I hope you do. But I'm going to say this to you. You need to understand how the Bible speaks. And I'm not being negative. I'm just going to speak the truth. How the Bible speaks of the uncertainty of life. All right, let me, for example, in the book of James, you know what the Bible, how the Bible describes life? 
he describes it as a vapor, as a vapor. And in the book of James, he says in verse 13, now listen to this. This is, we make plans. We make plans, okay? We make plans. It says in verse 13, come now you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and spend a year there and we'll buy and sell and make a profit. Hey, we're going to go for a year and invest in this business and we're going to make some money. Okay. Whereas you do not know, now listen to this, whereas you do not know what tomorrow, what will happen tomorrow. He said, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? And here it is. It is even as a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. That's the word of God. You got big plans. But God said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You need to understand one thing. Your life's like a vapor. And it can just be gone in an instant. And then he says, instead, this is what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You know, I'm telling you, we don't like to think about it. But there is an element of uncertainty to your life. Over in the Word of God, it only says that life is not only like a vapor, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks that life is like a flower. It's like grass. I want you to listen to what it says. He says, In verse 24, now get this, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You know, I'm I'm not trying to make you think that you're going to die before dark, but you could And the reason we cannot say, Lord, I'll spend another night with the frogs. I know I need to get rid of those, but I'll spend another night. We're not, we're forgetting that we have no promise of tomorrow. Life's like a vapor. It's like a flower. You know what Job said in in chapter 9, in chapter 7, verse 6? Now, you wouldn't know this unless you'd ever been Uh, into maybe a cotton mill or somewhere. He said, life is faster than a weaver's shuttle and without hope. I remember when I was pastoring Monaghan Baptist Church in the textile community in Greenville, South Carolina, I went into the mill and I saw where they were weaving that cloth and I saw a weaver's shuttle. Job said, you know, life is faster than a weaver's shuttle. So I'm saying to you that the reason we cannot be tomorrow people, the reason we cannot procrastinate, the reason we cannot spend another night with the frogs is because of the uncertainty of life. But there's another reason, and I honestly believe that this is the major reason that we can't do it. 
the reason we cannot be procrastinators and to be a tomorrow person is not only because of the uncertainty of life, because of the strategy of the devil. You know, uh, you hear a lot of uh, stories, figurative stories, and their illustrations. And, and this one has made an impression on me. I haven't used it much, but, but, but every now and then it goes like this. Satan called a, uh, a conference of all the demons of hell, and he said, we've got to change our strategy. There are too many people getting saved, too many people getting set free, too many people being delivered, and the kingdom of God, of Christ, is advancing in the world. We've got to change our strategy. Well, one demon spoke up and said, well, let's go down there and tell them the Bible's not the word of God. He said, we've been doing that for a thousand years. It don't work. They believe it's the word of God. He said, well, let's go down there and tell them that Jesus is not God and that he's not the only way to be saved. He said, we've been doing that for thousands of years. It ain't working. They're still getting saved. He said, well, let, let's go down there and, 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 and tell them that not only is the Bible not the word of God, not only Jesus is not the Son of God, let's tell them, look, there's no heaven, there's no hell, just live and die. He said, they don't believe that. So one of the demons stood up and said, oh, I have the answer. Let's go down there and tell them the Bible is the Word of God. And let's go down there and tell them that Jesus is the Son of God and he's the only way to be saved. And let's go down there and tell them there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be escaped but let's tell them to do it tomorrow. And you know, that's what he says. You know, you need to get right with Jesus. Oh, I, I will. Oh, Lord, I intend to. I, I, I got plenty of time. And so what an enemy does, he doesn't care if you believe it as long as you put it off, as long as you never act on it, as long you 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 you're a hearer of the word, and not a doer only. And so the reason that we cannot be a tomorrow people is because of the uncertainty of life and because of the strategy of Satan. But you know, I want to show you something. God knew that we needed to understand about procrastination. So he gave us three vivid pictures. The first one is found in Acts chapter 24. And here in Acts 24, we're dealing with a person called uh, Felix. In Acts 24, verse 24, let's just look at that. We, we're dealing with Felix. And, and he had a great conversation with the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and, and the conversation goes this way. And, 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 and chapter 24 of Acts, verse 24, it says, And after some days... When he came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul. Now, Felix sent for Paul. And he heard him concerning faith in Christ. Can you imagine this? Felix, and Paul was a prisoner. He sends for Paul. Paul says, now listen, I understand that you now, you've embraced the way, W-A-Y. You've embraced Christianity. He said, now, uh, would you tell me about it? Boy, Paul said, here we go, here we go. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, this is Paul. He reasoned about righteousness 
self-control, and judgment to come. Felix was afraid. He had the fear of God and answered, Go your way for now when I have a more convenient time. I will call for you. He said, Paul, I'm shook up. This spooks me. He said, but just go on, leave me alone. When I have a convenient time. You know what that's called? Passing opportunity. Passing opportunity. Here was a man who sat under the feet of the powerful apostle Paul and heard the word of God with power. And, and, and obviously the Spirit of God was dealing with him. But he said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. i got to get some things straightened out. There's some things i got to do. He said, this is not a convenient time for me. This is not a convenient time. But wait a minute, Felix. It's, it's an opportunity. You may never have this opportunity again. It's a passing opportunity. Are you mean to tell, you, tell me to tell me you're going to pass up this opportunity? Paul, go away when I have a more convenient time. I'll send for you. Can I tell you something? Whatever God's telling you to do, whatever God's been speaking to you about, whatever's very important in your life that you do, I guarantee you the enemy's saying, that's important, but not now. Not now. This is not the time. There's some things you've got to straighten out. It's not a convenient time. It's not a convenient time. Let me tell you something. If there's something God is dealing with you about, I want to tell you the devil and the flesh will see to it that it's never a convenient time. It never will be convenient. You know why you can't be a tomorrow man or woman? The uncertainty of life, the strategy of Satan, and passing opportunity. But then we go on and there's another one. And, and these are real-life stories. That's why God put them in the Bible. We come over to chapter 26 of Acts, and it's King Agrippa. And, and we see that uh, uh, Paul is before King Agrippa, and he begins to present the gospel to him. And in Acts chapter 26, verse 1 and 2, I want you to listen to what he says. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you're, you're permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I thank myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning the things which I have been arrested and accused by the Jews. Then you get over in verse 19 of chapter 26. He says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And then in verse 27 and 29, now listen to this. Felix said, God's spoken to me, but it's not convenient for me right now. Not convenient. Now here's Agrippa. Agrippa, Paul said to him, King Agrippa, do you not believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, now get this. You almost persuade me to be a Christian. Here's this ungodly king. Paul told him about his conversion on the road to Damascus, how God appeared to him and how God changed his life and how now he was preaching the truth uh, to the churches. 
And boy, God's, and, 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 and Agrippa evidently knew something about the word of God. And, and God began to deal with him. And he got under conviction. And he said, Paul, I'm telling you one thing. You have just about persuaded me to be a Christian. But he sent him away. He sent him away. We have no record in the Bible that Agrippa ever repented of his sin. No place in the Bible that he ever turned to God. And there was a place in the Bible that says he was ever saved. You know what that's called? Felix was passing opportunity. It's not convenient. Agrippa was passing conviction. He was convicted by God. And he said, I'm almost persuaded. Has God been speaking to you about a number of things in your life? Not just salvation. But God has been speaking to you and God has been dealing with you. And you've been like, you, well, tomorrow, later, i got plenty of time. Tomorrow, later, tomorrow. And you're a tomorrow man or woman. But you know, let me say something. I don't have any record that God ever convicted Agrippa again like he did that time. And so God comes on you and he convicts you of sin. He convicts you of something that's important in your life that you need to do. And you're saying, I'm close. I'm close. I'm almost persuaded. You know, there were a lot of songs we sang in church when I was growing up as a teenager and, 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 and 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And I never will forget this song every time they sing it. Saying it, it, it doesn't matter whether I was close to God or not, it, it, whether I was 15 or 16. We, we used to sing it, almost persuaded, now to believe. Almost persuaded, Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, go Savior, go your way. And some more convenient day on you I'll call. You know why you don't need to be a tomorrow man or woman? I'm going to tell you why. The uncertainty of life. The strategy of the devil to get you to delay. And passing opportunity. And passing conviction. That is a reality. That's why we cannot be tomorrow people. That's why we cannot be like Pharaoh and said, Well, I'll sleep with the frogs one more night. And then we'll just get rid of those frogs tomorrow. But there's one other reason. Then I'm going to talk about the blessing of today. And you know, that's called the hardening of the heart. Did you know the Bible says that your heart can get hard? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, uh, it talks about the hardening of the heart. How that, you know, uh, well, it says it four times. Don't harden your heart. And so, uh, and I've seen this happen in people. In Hebrews chapter 3, Verse 7, therefore the Holy Spirit says, today, hey, by the way, it doesn't say tomorrow. <laughs> the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. What part of that I do, not, do I not understand? If God speaks to you, don't you harden your heart. Ask God to keep it soft and pliable and open. Then he goes down on in the same chapter in verse 15. 
He says in Hebrews 3, while it is said, he says it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Don't be a tomorrow person. See, you, you never know if your heart will be as soft as it is today. You never know that. You don't know if it's going to get crusty and the ground's going to be unplowable. And, and then he goes on over in chapter 4, verse 7, and he says it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I remember people over the years that would come to Cottage Hill or churches I pastored. There would be times in their life that they were so open, so interested, so pliable. But for some reason, they were not ready to make that choice. Maybe in some sin they loved. Maybe they would say, well, no, I just want to live my life the way I want to a little while longer. But you know, every time you hear the gospel and you turn it down, it's harder the next time to respond. It's called the hardness of your heart. Oh, no, I can, I had a fellow say to me, well, I can be time. Well, I, don't tell me, Brother Fred, there's an urgency. I can get time, any, get saved anytime I want to. I said, no, you can't. No, you can't. What if the time comes when the Holy Spirit does not convict you or you don't even hear his voice? What if the time comes when he doesn't move on your heart and you feel drawn like you felt drawn these last few weeks? Don't tell me. What if that ceases to be? What if you harden your heart? You know, we, we, we say Pharaoh really wasn't very smart. He could have gotten rid of the frogs in an instant, but he spent another night with the frogs. I want to tell you right now, if you think that you're immortal and don't understand the uncertainty of life, and if you don't understand that Satan's strategy is to get you to delay and that there will be opportunities that come to you and they will pass, there will be conviction that comes to you and it will not stay forever, and there will be an opportunities that come to you, you know, you've you got to understand that it's dangerous to put off till tomorrow what God tells you to do today. In fact, I got to thinking about this. Now, I know there were times when Israel was going to battle that God would tell them, no, you wait till tomorrow. But I don't ever remember God dealing with an individual about eternal things and saying to that individual, you wait till tomorrow. I don't remember that. Now, I'm not saying he didn't, but I tried to rack my brain. When it came to eternal things, not war or, or strategies, I said, was there ever time? that God told somebody to wait till tomorrow? Was there ever a time? Well, but let me say this. I want to talk to you about the blessings of today. The great thing is this. Listen to me. You're alive. You say, praise God. You're alive. And you're sitting here today. Praise God. And you're hearing the word of God. Praise God. And God is saying to you, don't you keep delaying. Don't you keep putting off. Don't you keep procrastinating. When I speak to you, you need to understand, I know how long you have. I know everything about you. Your very breath is in my hand. And so when God says, I don't want you to be a tomorrow man. I want you to be a today person. And let me tell you why I know that. 
I want you to listen to these verses and go back and read them every time you get a chance. In 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, there's a powerful verse. Look at what it says. This was written to even believers. We then as workers together with him plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Oh, my heavens. He said, here is the grace of God hanging on a cross, dying in your place. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. My heavens, don't refuse the grace of God. Don't count the grace by which he came. Don't, don't do that. It says, we then is working together, beseech you that you do not receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, now get this, in an acceptable time I have heard you. There's an acceptable time when I will hear you and, and when I've heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Listen to what he said. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. So God says, listen, this is the first day of the rest of your life. You may have procrastinated and procrastinated and procrastinated. There may have been things I've been speaking to you about and dealing with you about, but you have not dealt with. He said, but I want you to understand. You're here. You're hearing the word of God. And he said, now is the accepted time. He says, now is the day of salvation. And so God says, you've got to act in the now. You've got to act today. You've got to do that. And, and I begin to think about, well, Lord, I know that's true. I know that's true. But how do we do that? And, and there were just a couple of things that God said that uh, you need to take care of today. You, you need to take care of it today. And you know what came to me? These words. He said, today. You need to take care of broken relationships. Our lives are made up of relationships. We don't live on an island. We're not a hermit. Our lives are made up of relationships. And God says now is the time to mend, to correct to allow those broken relationships to be healed. And by the way, the first one starts with God. You see, everybody since Adam was born with a sinful nature and were sinners by nature and by choice. And the Bible says that your sin, stay with me now, has separated between you and your God. Your sin has separated between you and your God. For the first, so therefore, the most important relationship and the first relationship that has to be mended, it has to be uh, uh, restored, is our relationship with God. Listen, you've got to start where you've got to start, and that is this. If you are separated from God by your sin, and you've never repented of your sin, and that means not only confessed it, but by the grace of God turned away from it, if you're separated from God by your sin, then that's a broken relationship. The Bible says you are still a sinner. The Bible says you're an enemy with God. And so why in the world would you go another day? Why would you spend another night with the frogs when your relationship with God is not right? The point is, hey, 
You, the first thing you've got to be sure of, am I right with God? Am I forgiven? Am I a child of God? Am I saved? I didn't say the first thing you've got to ask, was I baptized when I was nine? Not, I, I didn't say the first thing you say, was I, I'm an active member of a church. I, 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 I do good works. I understand that. And I'm for that. But let me tell you something. Nothing, ever, nothing, nothing can save you. Nobody can save you but Jesus. Nobody can wash your sins away but Jesus. Nobody can forgive you but Jesus. And I'm telling you, if Jesus is not in your life, and if he's not on the throne of your heart, you have a broken relationship with God that needs to be restored, not tomorrow, but today. Why would you not do that? I'm not ready, Brother Fred. i got to straighten my things. Somebody things out. If you wait till you get some things straightened out, you'll be straightening it out when you're 90. You ain't going to get it straightened out. You're not capable. If you could get it straightened out, you wouldn't need Jesus. So just let me say this. If your relationship with broken, with God is broken, and your sin is separating you from God, repent, confess to God that you're a sinner, that you have no power to save yourself, and the only way you can be saved is through the blood of Jesus. And you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. By the grace of God and your power, I turn from my sin. And I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I give my life to him. I don't care what words you use. But you just, you just get restore your relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And do it today. What about tomorrow, Brother Fred? I, I can't tell you that. I don't know if you'll have tomorrow. But let me say something. Th this is very important to us who are believers. You see, sometimes our relationship is not broken with God in the point that we're not saved. But sometimes our, our fellowship with God is broken because we're not living right. See, you can be out of fellowship with God. Now, you know, when you get married, you're married. And you have a relationship with your wife, right? You're not sure. You have a relationship. You know, when you're married, you're married. And no matter what you do, you're still married. But you can be married and out of fellowship. You can have a relationship and be out of fellowship. And some of you are not in fellowship right now with your wife. You've got to understand that as a believer, once we're saved... And we become children of God. We are secure in Christ. But, buddy, we have to live in fellowship. No unconfessed sin in your life. No unyielded area of your life. Well, Brother Fred, I've given Jesus. I have 40 acres in my life, and I've given him 39. But this is my acre. Well, you know what happens on that acre? The devil comes and pitches a tent on it and beats your brains out from that one acre. Because you've not given it to Jesus. And if, it, if it's not under the authority of Jesus, then the enemy can come against it anytime he wants to. Let me ask you, you're saved. But what about your fellowship with Jesus? Is there anything that, that's, that's is it broken in any way and causing you not to have the joy and the peace and the power and the purpose? You, you, you know something's wrong. You say, Brother Fred, I'm just not right with God. Okay, well, get right. I'm going to. When? When are you going to do it? Tomorrow? No, no, you won't. Because it'll be tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And every day you put it off, the harder it will be. 
So what I'm saying to you, if you're saved but out of fellowship with God, you need to mend that broken, rela- that broken fellowship and get it right with God. But you know, there's not only broken relationships with God. You know, let me just say this. Some of you may be dealing with some things. Okay. You say, I I really believe I'm saved, Brother Fred. All right. But, But you've got some strongholds in your life. Okay. You say, I don't believe a person can be saved and have strongholds. Well, you're, you're deceived. Oh, yeah. You've given place to the enemy, and he's got you in its grip. And so what you say is, you, you may have the stronghold of some type of addiction. It may be drugs. It may be alcohol. It may be pornography. It may be your thought life. You're f- fantasizing all the time. But you know it's got a grip on you. And, man, you're battling it. But for some reason, let me tell you something. You've got to tell God that you're not able to overcome it and that unless he helps you, you're sunk. And you've got to pray against that addiction, whatever it might be. It may be an addiction to money. I don't know what it is, to greed or to covetousness. But I'm telling you, Jesus can break that addiction in your life. And if you've got to turn to him and totally surrender to him, totally surrender to him, you say, but I've tried before and failed. That doesn't matter. God is still God, and he can set you free, and he can deliver you, and he wants to do it today. What's got a grip on you? Don't live with it another day. He said, I came to deliver the captives. Would you let him deliver you? You know, there's um, not only broken relationships with God, but I want to ask you something. What about your marriage? How's your marriage? Are you enduring it? Are enjoying it? Are you existing but not really living in fellowship with each other? I want you to know God doesn't want you to have a broken relationship with your wife or husband. And you say, well, Brother Fred, I've tried. Well, try again. You say, but I'm right. Okay. But still, still keep trying. But she or he doesn't want any part of it. Well, you keep, you keep praying for them, but you keep trying. And I tell you what would be a good idea, and I'm gonna, this would be a good idea. So you're unhappy in your marriage. Why don't you say to your wife or husband today, I, I need to talk to you for a few minutes. What are you going to talk about? Well, just, just give me a minute. You know, our marriage is not good. It's broken. I accept my responsibility. And, you, know, you, know, you know it's not good. You know it. You know it. I, and I know it. We're acting like uh, it, it's, um, but we know it. We, and so you know what we got to do? We got to do something about it. Whatever we need to do to get back to the point to where we're not just existing and that where we honestly can communicate with each other and fellowship with each other and enjoy each other, you know, we got to do that. Listen, let me say something to you. Man, I'd hate to live in a marriage where you live in the same house, but, but it's broken. It's broken. It's broken. Brother Fred, does your and Ann's marriage ever get broken? Yeah, but we fix it real quick. Real quick. It's not broken now. Thank you, Jesus. Keep it that way till tomorrow. 
That's all I got to say. But the thing about it is, this old thing, we got married and lived happily ever after, the problem is it just ain't true. There's got to be forgiveness. There's got to be a willingness to die to yourself and not just live for yourself and be selfish, but to be unselfish and live for each other. Who in the world said it's, it's, it's equal stuff? No, it's surrender both people to the individual. Don't you let your marriage continue the way it is and don't you come to me after you've been this way for 10 years and say, would you help me in five minutes? I can't help you in five minutes. I want to ask you something. I want to ask some of you young people. I want to ask some of you uh, parents. How's your relationship with your children? Do you have a broken relationship with your children? You say, well... I don't know, Brother Fred, they used to want to be with me all the time, but when they got to be 13, they forgot I was around here. And to be frank with you, I feel distance from my kids. I, I really think they're rebelling against me. And it could be that you're saying, well, you know, I think I've, I've, I think I've hurt them along the way. And maybe something I've done is, you know, I, I need to ask my kids, is there anything I've done that's hurt you or or messed you up? Is, is there something I need to do for us to be closer together? See, you, you, you can have a broken relationship with your children, but God doesn't want you to do that. And the only way you can do it, if, if you're wrong, is ask forgiveness. And if you're sorry, tell them you're sorry. Or if they're wrong, let them realize that you love them even though they are wrong. What about a broken relationship with another family member, a brother or a sister I hear it all the time. My sister hadn't called me in three years. My brother hadn't spoken to me in four years. I said, what is this? Can't we, can't we, somehow? You say, well, I'm on, I'm, eventually I'm going to deal with that. Eventually I'm going to deal with my marriage tomorrow. Eventually I'm going to work on this thing with my children tomorrow. And eventually I'm going to try my best to build some bridges in my family with my brothers and sisters. But time's not right. When will it ever be right? It may be your marriage. It may be your children. What about at work? You say, well, I have some of the sorriest people to work with I've ever had in my life. Well, they may say feel the same thing about you. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can love them. You can be kind to them. You can help them. You can let, you, you, you can be selfless and not defend yourself, and not demand your rights, and you can be a healer and a peacemaker in a workplace. You say, but Brother Fred, you don't understand. I do understand. A lot of them are just plain lost, and they don't know how to live or have the power to live, but you do. And if anybody in that place is going to build, help build broken relationships in a workplace, it's going to have to be a child of God. And so do it. You know, it may be, may be in your church. Sometimes people fall out with each other at church. They do. So what do you do? Act as though it didn't happen? No. What do you do? You say, you know, the Bible says if I come to the altar and put my gift in and my brother has all against me, I need to leave the altar and leave my gift to altar and go be reconciled to my brother and then, then I need to come back and worship God. Amen. All I'm saying to you is this. 
Don't you be a tomorrow man. Don't you be a tomorrow man or woman. Today is the day. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a great avenue. Releasing of bitterness is a great avenue. Giving up an offended spirit. They offended me. Who in here hadn't been offended? You know what Jack Taylor said? Talking about being offended, he said, when I got saved, I had an uh, of offendectomy. They took out my often offense. It wasn't an appendix. He, I had an offendectomy. I, you can't offend me. I said, Jack, I need one. I'm just saying forgiveness, releasing all bitterness, just giving up without a, giving, give up that offense. Just give it up. You say, but it was wrong. Then that's why you forgive people. You know, here's the thing. Today is the time to get right with, with broken relationships. And today is the time to be a witness for Christ, to be a witness for him. And today is the time to be a servant's heart. Well, one day I'm really going to serve Jesus. It's not, that's today. Start today. Hey, hey, listen, start today. One day I'm going to really be a witness for Christ. Why not now? Why not now? Why not be a servant today? Why not share, be by your life and by your lips, witness for Christ today? Why not be a soldier of the cross that's on the front line today? You say, boy, oh, 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 uh, Pharaoh, he, he just was not smart. He could have gotten rid of the frogs but he just decided to spend another night with him. And so I'm going to ask you, how much longer are you going to sleep with the frogs? Why don't you deal with them today? And I mean today. I, I, mean, I mean today. You say, but Brother Fred, I'm not ready. Okay, you be, tomorrow it ain't going to come. You won't be ready tomorrow. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Be like the Apostle Paul who said, forgetting those things that are behind, I reach forth to those things that are before. You say, Brother Fred, I wish I could undo some of the things in the past. You can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. But this is the first day of the rest of your life, and you don't have to be a tomorrow man or woman anymore. When God speaks to you, you can say yes and you can say today, and you can act by the power of the Holy Spirit to make it right today.